The University of Miami Law School Entertainment Arts and Sports Law Program presents the Leadership Game Plan. I'm executive producer and program director Greg Levy, and now over to our host, longtime NFL coordinator, head coach, three-time Grey Cup champion, NCAA champion with the Miami Hurricanes, Miami Law graduate, and now adjunct faculty member, coach Mark Tressman. I believe that everyone can lead no matter who you are or what you do. I believe just like quarterbacks, leaders are not born, they are developed. With so many platforms to speak our minds, there are countless ways to lead and impact the lives of others. So how we lead in this accelerating and interconnected world will determine our present and our future. That's why leadership today matters more than ever. Welcome to the Leadership Game Plan, where we go beyond the X's and O's through the unique lens of our accomplished guests. I'm your host, Mark Tressman, and let's get started. Putting a group together, uh, for that group to come together, work together as a team towards the same goal, be efficient in communicating the vision and sharing that vision. And I think you do that with humility, clearly defined roles, empowerment, and servant leadership and mindset. I first met Catherine Rach in December of 2017, a month after our Grey Cup win in Toronto. At that time, she was working in Montreal for the CFL's Montreal Alouettes when we brought her to Toronto to be our director of football administration. Early on, it was very clear that Catherine was unique on many levels. She had an ability to connect with everyone on a personal and professional level. We immediately saw her high intellect, her impeccable attention to detail, and passion for preparation. With a determined, pleasant, and likable demeanor, she quickly touched the organization at every level, taking on a variety of tasks. In March of 2019, I was hired as a head coach and general manager of the Tampa Bay Vipers of the new XFL 2.0. And my first call was to Catherine to be our director of football operations, which she thankfully accepted. And it was smooth sailing with Catherine onboarding our team at the player and facility level for our inaugural season in the spring of 2020. But that all changed three months later when Philadelphia Eagles general manager Howie Roseman called to ask permission to speak with Catherine, changing Catherine's journey by hiring her as a football operations player personnel coordinator. I could not have been prouder to see her leave for the NFL and excited for her to be part of one of the NFL's elite organizations. Then earlier this year, after being with the Eagles for barely two years, most of it working at home during a pandemic, she was named the Eagles Vice President of Football Operations, becoming the highest-ranking female football executive in the NFL. We will talk about all of this and more as I proudly welcome my friend, the Philadelphia Eagles Vice President of Football Operations, Catherine Rach. Catherine, I'm totally excited. Um, very proud, obviously, to have you on with us today. Um, you know, really, you've broken a glass ceiling uh, for women in the NFL by this new position you've taken on, and and then you've done it in record time. So that's a lot to be excited about, a lot to be proud of. Welcome. 
Thank you, Mark. I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's uh, let's just roll right into this thing, okay? And and let me let me start this way. You're really a leader right now. You are a leader in a multi-billion-dollar business, and um, that takes a lot of lot of um, lot of different skills. And you're doing it uh, with people that have a lot of different backgrounds, diverse backgrounds, and how I wanted to start today is how we've started the last couple of podcasts that we've had. And uh, I like to just start it this way, is what you see in yourself or what is a leader? Um, because there's a lot of different definitions of leaders, as we, we you well know. But what is your definition of what a leader is? Yeah, I agree with you. I definitely think probably everyone has their definition, but for me, it's about um, getting a group, putting a group together uh, for that group to come together, work together as a team towards the same goal, be efficient in communicating the vision and sharing that vision. And I think you do that with humility, clearly defined roles, empowerment, and servant leadership mindset. So that's how I would define it. Yeah, that's beautiful. And we're going to talk a little bit about that as as we go on here today. Um, in our class on leadership, you know, we usually start with you have to be competent to be a leader. And you certainly have that competency. And and uh, we'll go into that a little bit um, as we move along here. But you have to be authentic. And to be authentic, it really all starts with knowing your narrative, knowing how you were raised, who are the influential people in your lives, your your teachers, your coaches, your parents, and and maybe some influential moments. And I thought, you know, we could take a little time to talk about some of those people or scenarios in your journey that took place that that brought you to this moment. Absolutely, and I think um, I think it starts all the way back to my parents. I can think of my mom, um, the values uh, that she taught me. She was a she's very hardworking. How sorry, hard working woman. And um, I remember how preparation, education were keys to her and how she, they were so important in her household and so important that I can remember a story when I was young. My mom tells the story all the time. She would, uh, I got back from my first day of school. I was in first grade. Um, I get back home and I tell my mom, I said, I'm done with school, mom. And she goes, what? Like, it's your first day. What's going on? And I was like, well, it's been a day I'm in school. I don't know how to read. I don't know how to write. So I'm done. So it's just to show you how early on I was already eager to learn. And, and I was already, I mean, a little bit impatient, I would say. But that really came from my parents and how, you know, how how we were raised and how education and structure and, and goals was really, really important uh, in terms of values. Um, what was your mother's background? She's a nurse. That- She's a nurse. So mm-hmm. she's educating your father. Uh, he's a tax accountant. Okay. So, so hence my law background in corporate and tax law. <laughs> which <we're> gonna discuss. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were definitely like crucial in my development early on. Uh, they supported me through my decisions when I decided to make that switch. And when I made that switch from law to football, um, there was another key person who was Jim Pop. So Jim Pop uh, was a general manager of the, Mon- the Montreal Alouettes, a team of the Canadian Football League at the time. And 
him and Mr. Wettenhall, um, their owner at the time, are the ones who gave me my first chance and decided to, to take a chance on me. So I volunteered for months before they offered me a position. Um, at the time, I was still working at a law firm, so I was combining both. And um, after after training camp, I stayed around during the season. I would go on weekends. I would do anything. I would put data in the database. I would drive people around, whatever needed to be done. And at the end of the 2015 season, they gave me, uh, they offered me a full time position, which was my first, my first full time position uh, in pro football. Um, so it was an amazing opportunity. And the thing that they really did for me was allowing was giving me an, an opportunity to grow and to learn. So really like that empowerment, when I was talking a little bit about it early on with, with the leadership values, like that empowerment and that ability to be able to grow and to learn and to trust me with those opportunities, that was really key um, in my development. And then as I keep going with, with my path, then I met you, Mark, and you were also uh, a crucial, a crucial person uh, along my path because we missed each other in Montreal. Like you, when I got there in 2015, you were in the NFL, but we met uh, when we were both in Toronto and working together and getting to know each other. Then allowed me to take my first steps in the United States, working with you um, with the XFL, with the Tampa Bay franchise of the XFL. So all these these opportunities and, and these people that I've met along the way really um, build, help me build my leadership and my path in who I am today and where I'm at today, honestly. Well, as you know, Jim Pop also was a very important part of my journey because, you know, Jim was the GM when I was offered the job to be uh, the head coach of the Montreal was my, which was my first opportunity uh, with Mr. Wittenhall. And you know, the story with Jim is kind of an interesting one in itself, and it shows the kind of person he was. Um, I coached with his father in Cleveland when I was the coordinator, and Jim came by, and his dad asked me to just spend a few minutes with him and uh, and if he could come to meetings and so forth. And I let him come to meetings, um, uh, let him be a part of our, you know, our dialogue. I gave him a playbook. And 20 years later, he called me and he said, I've never forgotten your kindness, you know, when I was a young coach at, at uh, Michigan State, and I came by to visit my dad and in your meetings. And I want to, I know you never been a head coach. Would you be interested? So, you know, it's things like that you do in your past that, that, that come back to, to help you. And it was just an act of kindness. Tell me a little bit more about that, that moment. What got you that, that little bridge that got you from, you know, being in school to getting to the Alouettes? Tell us a little bit more about that. What, what coincidental moment, so to speak, happened that really that changed your life forever, right? It really did. And um, so I was, football was my passion and I knew that. But for the longest time, I thought it was more of a hobby than a job. I wasn't really aware enough. Like I didn't know all these opportunities that were out there to, to make this a career. Um, so at first I was thinking, I'd, I'll try to be an agent because I was a lawyer. I was like, I'll get some experience and I can combine my corporate and tax law practice with an agent practice. Um, and then I heard about a conference that was given at the NFL Combine. And it was a career conference where there was multiple people um, 
talk from the industry talking about their role on on the team. So it was coaches, general managers, contract management, football research and analytics, equipment, ticket sales, every single department. And that's where I got the the moment where I was like, okay, I this is this is what I want to do. This is exactly what I was looking for. And I was looking to find something. And it's every time I say this, I think it's so cheesy, but it's so true. I was looking for something that I was truly passionate about and that didn't feel like work, to be honest with you. Because every day I get up, I'm 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 excited to 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 come to work and, and do what we do. And I think for the number of of hours and, and time that we spent um doing this, I mean, you must love it. Like it, you have to. Uh, so define the passion because that's the key word to your why, right? It's why you do what you do. It's a it's common to talk like it's new language of leadership. You know, you know what you do, you know how to do it. But it, the most important thing is, as you said, when you wake up in the morning, you've got a passion. Something's ignited in your heart. Can you describe what the what what happened to you? What what when it all began and and uh, and how you knew this was it? Yeah. So very it happened at a very early age. So my mom was the team manager of the recreational football team of my brother. And I would, my brother's two years younger than me. So I would go and just be behind the bench with my mom and just help with really anything, mainly water that I was young to at the time. And I remember clearly there is this, this game. It's a close game. Um, and we're really close of being able to win. The, we're still in the game. Like we can win the game and um, we end up losing. But this is where the the this is the moment where I felt that football was the ultimate team sport and how we're all in this together and how every little detail matter and everybody's job matter and me being there just just helping out with equipment or water or whatever my mom pretty much needed uh, was part of this and and I felt so defeated for losing that game at a, such a young age and I can remember like the emotions on the faces of the players and how disappointed we were because our season was over but that's where it got to me and and that's where I was like wow if I could ever be like if I could ever recreate this feeling and this atmosphere in my line of work that'd be phenomenal and that's what I thought I would I would have to do recreate this in whatever I was about to work in and when I realized when I went to this combine um this combine event, and I realized that actually my skill set could have a spot on a team. I could actually do something very much in line with what my soft skills and my and, and my skill set. I was like, all right, this is it. So it's kind of like the passion started really, really early, but it took it took me time to figure out how I could put the pieces together. The one thing you saw that very few people at that age see is you saw the game through the eyes of a leader. Because when I was an assistant coach, I really never understood how interconnected everybody was to winning. And you were able to see that right away at a very young age that everybody matters, every detail matters, and everybody's interconnected uh, in the jobs that they do. And that eventually will lead to winning on game day. But everybody's a part of this thing and it has to be done together, which is which is really, really cool. And I think it gives the audience a sense of the person that we're talking to and and uh, and the journey she's been on. Let's go back to law school. 
we both went to law school. Uh, we both probably went to law school with the idea that we were going to be practicing attorneys. Um, and it didn't work out that way for either of us. Um, but we did learn a lot. And I'm sure I know I learned a lot uh, that helped me, you know, with the, with my job as a coach throughout the years. One of them was going to law school was like working coaching hours. And uh, it was six in the morning to, to do property the first year. And I never left the library till 12 o'clock and uh, gave myself a little bit of time on Saturdays off and then went back to work on a six day work week. Uh, but, you know, some of the things we learn, why don't you share that? Um, and I know because I know it's helped you in, your, in the job that you're doing today. It's funny that you bring up the hours, Mark, because even so that's so true for law school. And then I practiced for three years before making the switch. Right. So even when I talk now to my former colleague law, lawyers, they're like, oh, I'm sure like the hours when you work in pro sports are like the same as ours. Right. I'm like, no, they're not. They're like if the, the closing periods when we're closing on a deal. Well, picture this deal going on for six months. The entire <laughs> Exactly. These are your hours. Exactly. Um, so definitely great point. There. But there's some good stuff, you know, not only the hours we work, but time management and people skills and and uh, go ahead. I think I think you're right. I think that's that's right on there. The soft skills, um, some of the soft skills, as you just touched on that you develop going through law school. And even if you practice, um, you just mentioned time management. That's a great one. I think uh, attention to details is extremely important. And that's something we definitely develop as we go through law school. Uh, teamwork, working together, critical thinking. Those are things like, especially in a position like mine, like when you're, you're, you get to the level where you help with decision making to build the roster, um, that includes a ton of different factors. It is not just an evaluation decision. There's a financial component. There's a team culture component. There's a lot of different components that you have to take into account. So I think those are some of the skills that you can build through um, through your studies in law school that really help you. And then in addition to that, I never thought that I would come here and help in any legal, you know, specific way. But I do when when they're overloaded, like I'm not going to be the final stamp on anything, obviously, because I'm not practicing in the United States. But you still have those those skills that, that and those reflex that you, you've built. So I, I help I help with contract management. I help with our legal department and it helped me with negotiation skills as well for my own situation when it's contract time and for players negotiations as well. So. I got to believe that uh, law school helped us with clarity in our communication, being concise, not just with legal documents, but, you know, talking to people because during a football season, there's not a lot of time to be wasted in, in long dissertations. I used to call them with our staff and we don't have time for symposiums. We've got a game on Sunday, right? And so things have to be done quickly. And your listening also has to be really honed in um, as you move through the building. You've got so many different people that are under you now in different jobs and different positions. Um, you know, I was wondering, um, you're, you're really our leading people now. And I, I just wondered what your authentic self looks like around the building, because you are as authentic as they come. Um, you're not, you know, competency is first because people aren't going to respect you if you don't know your science, whether you're coaching or whether you're in a position of being an executive vice president. But what is it what does it look like 
and feel like to be around Catherine Rach as she moves through the building uh, in, in Philadelphia? Well, first, everyone knows I am French-Canadian because they hear it as soon as I start speaking. <laughs> so full disclosure to our audience. Uh, so I speak French. But uh, no, I think um, my passion for sure is definitely something that's that's obvious. And, and for me, it's it's about being a student of the game and it's about learning. And that's regardless of your position. I truly believe that whether you're in a VP role, whether you're gen the general manager, the owner, the intern, uh, you everyone learn. And, and that's something that is really important to me. And I'll give you an example. Like every off season, I like to pick two position room uh, on each side of the ball. And I go, I sit in the meetings and the most of the time it's in the off season program and training camp. Why? Because they go back to the fundamentals and it's most of the time this year was a little different in certain aspects because we changed coaching staff, but most of the time it's always the same. Um, but for me, it's just going back to the fundamentals and, and making sure that I'm always sharp on these things. Because then when I watch our weekly game film and we do some self scout, um, you want to make sure that, that you have a good grasp on what's being asked. So those are things for me that are like super important of, of, of being, um, being, being, how can I say open to learning and, and not being afraid to ask questions regardless of like where I rent, where I'm at in the organization. So, uh, those are things. And, and also handling adversity and, and being able to have, you know, an even keel that's, that's me. Like I'll keep the same, I'll be the same whether we lose or, or we win, don't get me wrong. Like I, I have emotions and, you know, those can be tough times, but I think it's important throughout a long season to be able to, to handle adversity and, and being able to stay the same throughout these, these sometimes tough times. Yeah. The inevitability of adversity is, is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to find out more about ourselves. You know, you brought up learning. There's no better way to learn than through adversity. I think it's, it's uh, it's, it's a much more, um, optimal place to grow than, than it is through success. But talk a little bit about success. You hit adversity, which, you know, I believe you embrace it. You embrace it. You know, you, you can, you can smile in the face of adversity and grow from it, but there's also, there's going to be success along the way. And sometimes there's a, a difference between, you know, being complacent, you know, and being content and somewhere in there is, being able to handle success. You want to talk about that a little bit? Because you've had some success along the way over the last few months. Yeah, I think that I distinguish winning and success. I see those two things as two different concepts. And, and for me, success is about putting the right people together in the right roles and having thorough processes that constantly evolves. And to me, that's what brings sustained success. And that's what you can constantly improve. There's always room for improvement, but setting that foundation, I think to me um, is a key to success, which will lead to winning on, on game day. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think, I think that's, that's really, really important because when you, when you base your, your, whether you're happy or not, or whether you've done well or not, just on the idea of the outcome only, and you don't look at the overall 
process. I think that's a recipe to potentially be very unhappy in, in your role because there's a lot of things you won't necessarily control. So I think that's really about um, having this, this process in place for different things, having, you know, refining your decision-making tools. Those are to me really, really, really important because, you know, though you make a ton of decision with high level of certainty. So how can you ensure that you get to success and to sustain success? Because that's that's another very key element. Um, so that's kind of that's how I see success and how I try to approach it on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that the word you use is so important and we we can't say it enough. It's process because process is doing things in the moment that takes care of the scoreboard eventually and leads to sustained success. But process is, you know, as I say in football terms, it's the meeting, then it's the walkthrough, then it's the stretch, then it's the individual period. It's the moment by moment, paying attention to detail, being at your best, that's going to lead to success. As soon as we take our eyes off the process and it turns to the scoreboard, that's where chaos comes. That's where every, everything gets tangled up and people go in different directions. But if we stay focused on the process, that's where we also can have the most fun because we're not caught up in the stress of what's going to happen on Sunday or the worry or whatever. Uh, and we can pay attention to the moment where, where we can get our work done, so to speak. So I, I think you're, you're really on top of that. As you work through the day, you know, what are, what is, what are your values? You probably, you know, I always want to ask this, everybody has certain value set or core values, your non-negotiables that you've taken this job, you want to do it a certain way, and you're going to, these are the pillars that are going to keep you strong along the way when you get stretched or when people come at you from a place where you might not be comfortable, you can rely on your core values. You want to talk about that a little bit? Yep. So I try to keep it short with this because the two that I have are extremely important and uh, are, as I could call deal breakers. So I would say humility and integrity. And to me, humility, humility is crucial, very, very important. And I feel like sometimes uh, people can think that being humble could be a sign of lack of confidence or a weakness to a certain extent, which I totally disagree. I think that it's, it's the opposite. I think it's a sign of strength. And I think it's about understanding that it's not about you. It's about others. It's about the team. It's, it's about the betterment of the team. Um, it's about lifting others around you and making it like when we, when we have successes, when we do things well, it's about them. When things don't go as well as you thought they would, it's on you because as a leader, that's, that's on you to take that. And I feel like when, when you go about your, on a daily basis, when you go about your, your journey and your day with humility, I think you can, I think it goes a long way. Um, integrity to me is also something that I would never compromise on for myself or for anyone that is surrounding me. And I would like to work with because, because I think that's just, that's a core, that's a core value that you must have be honest, attend. We talked about authenticity. Those are, those are just keys of building a good group of people to work together. So to me, those are really the main two that I see as um, non-negotiable. Yeah, I love your definition of humility. It's it's just simply recognizing that you would not be in this position without the help of so many others. And they're they're all part of your success. And 
you know, I've always said if, you know, without humility, there's chaos because now ego's taking over and, and everybody's just working for themselves. And if you don't do it together, you, you can't win on the scoreboard. It's impossible, particularly in your business for sure. But, you know, football is just a metaphor really is for, you know, that's, I think part of the reason why I love the game is because it draw it draws a diverse group of people from everywhere, like no other sport and forces us to come together and, and we can, none of us can do it on our own. And that that's recognizing that as humility. And when you do it, it, uh, it keeps you centered and it creates some self-awareness around you, which again is, is so critical to, to leadership positions. I wanted to segue into, to Howie Roseman, the GM of the Eagles, one of the really good GMs, highly regarded GMs in the league and a, and a great leader. Um, you walk into an organization during COVID. I mean, you you got hired during COVID and you've been there just about two years now. And I just was curious is what did what was what what did you do in 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 those two years to create this message that you were ready to take on this enormous task? And it is of, of being an executive vice president of an NFL team. What did he see in you? Um, I think that's a great question. I think uh, one of the great things about Howie and Mr. Lori as well, our owner, is they value diversity. And when I talk about diversity, I don't only mean race or gender. I'm talking about diversity of thoughts, diversity of backgrounds, diversity of ideas. So they they really, really, really value these elements and they have an absolute open door policy where it doesn't matter where the idea come from. Um, so I think for me coming from, and I say this all the time, like the CFL for me has been the best school I could have, the best football school I could have gone to. And what I mean by that is CFL, as you know, Mark, smaller staffs, less resources, but same number of games. I mean, if, if more, <laughs> same number of players. So we really go through the entire side of football operation with just less people and less resources just by nature of, you know, the league and, and where, where they're at. So what, what I'm trying to get at is I got to do so much and learn so much and touch on so many different things. So in a, in a day in the CFI, in the morning, I could be helping downstairs with equipment. I could be back upstairs uh, negotiating a contract then going back to athletic trainers because they're missing some kind of thing with tape for their orders and making sure we're good. And then I could go back up and review an employment agreement and, and make an extension for one of the football operation employees. And then have a party with the players' wives doing, doing painting yes. right yes. on a weekday night, right? It. Yes. Because <laughs> we did that so, as well. Yes. So it's to show you how it built such a well-rounded skill set it helped me build such a well-rounded skill set that when you get to the NFL and things are obviously much bigger and more resources and, and a lot of the departments can be a little bit more siloed, not everywhere and not everyone is just a general concept. So when you get here and you, you had all that exposure, like I did, it's, it's different. It's, it's refreshing for them to, to be, to be able to, to give me different mandates or different tasks that I can actually contribute and help because I've had that exposure. So I think that's definitely has been um, my, my, my best preparation for this role, I would say. So let's dig a little deeper just for a second. And 
and I'll tell Howie not to listen to this, but this segment, but can you name a couple of things where Howie said, she can do this. She's built for this. Can you just uh, an assignment you had, uh, re- regardless of, you know, what department that you, you, you thought, you know, I, I know this resonated with them. They know I can lead. Uh, I think one of the things I was very fortunate, um, and we'll talk about, you know, mentors and, and people that have been allies, but I was really fortunate to, uh, when I got to Philly to, uh, report directly to Andrew Berry. Andrew Berry was my, uh, direct manager at the time. He was the VP of football operation and he is now the general manager of the Cleveland Browns. So Andrew had a very diverse background as well and was also involved here in Philly in multiple departments. So being right under him, I got exposure to a lot of these things. And to give you an example, we worked a lot on our player development program. And that's something that we worked really closely together and um, went really, really well. So then when he left for Cleveland, that was one of Howie's um, demand or like request to, to, to make sure we keep going and we keep building on the player development program because that's a really very important part of our operation here. Um, and that's something I was, I was heavily involved in. I, I took over with my coworker, uh, Connor Barwin, and we just took the lead on it. And we, we ran the program last year. We're running it this year again, and we just, con- we just continue to build on it. And, and that's something that, that's something that's really, really important to us and, and, and to, um, how we missed it, Lori. Yeah, that, that's great. I was, I was going to ask you, I, I get to ask this question. We get it in our class all the time. You know, Mark, I'm uh, I'm just starting out in this company, or I'm a new associate. I just took on this job, and really, it's just it's not a leadership job; it's a task oriented. I've got a task to do. You know, how can you lead in those roles? Well, I believe you can in a number of ways, and I I just uh, I wanted to hear from you. You know, what advice you would give a young student or just somebody starting a new job in an internship? There's still leadership opportunity, right? Absolutely. And I think the first thing you could do is whatever task these are, is do it to the best of your abilities, regardless of how small or big they are. And despite this may not sound like a leadership opportunities per se, because you're not necessarily leading others. Um, That being said, it's definitely a, a form of leadership. We always hear that by example. Well, while doing this task to the best of your abilities and and taking it to the next level, then that's what's going to be noticed and recognized by your employers. And it's going to build that trust and build that, okay, well, we can give him or her more. Or there's, we talked about it, like opportunity. Those opportunity can come at any time and you need to be ready for them. So by doing this to the best of your capacities, if there's an opportunity and someone leave or, or there's a new project coming on, well, by doing those little things right, that's when you're going to be given the project or the opportunity that really now you can build a group and, and you can really make, you know, some kind of decisions within your framework. But I think that would be my best advice is to just take every single task, do it to the best of your abilities, even if they seem small, because that's your way to start leading slowly but surely. Is there something you've learned about leadership since you made the switch from your early position with the Eagles and your position now that you've been, you know, in that office for a few months? Is is there something you've learned that you didn't know? 
Um, I think my core values didn't necessarily didn't change and won't change necessarily. That being said, I learned a ton. I learned from from observing leaders, whether it's Howie, Andrew. I, I, I observe their style. Um, one of the things I've learned, and I still work on it because I'm not very good at it, is delegating. Um, I, I tend to do a poor job of doing that, and that doesn't help me as a, as a leader in my position. So one of the things I always do is if I, let's say I'm giving someone a task and it comes back to me and it's not what I was expecting or what I asked or specifically, the first thing I do is ask me, blame me that I'm for sure did not communicate my guidelines and expectations properly. That's the first thing I do. And then what I do is I take time to revisit what was asked and revisit what are my expectations and probably communicate them in a different manner than I did the first time. Because probably, because part of the job too, as a leader, I think that part of it is you're a teacher in some way as well uh, with the people that are working with you. So I, I often try a second method of communicating. So if the first time I tried to, to myself verbalize the, the, the request or the expectations, the guidelines, then the next time when I explain them, I ask the person to explain them to me, what they think the task is about. As an example, that could be a way that works with that. Maybe that's a better form uh, of communication with that specific person. So I've, I've, I've really learned to, to, to do these things and, and, and go different ways about, because really what, what we care about is getting it done. So however we need to get it done. And I think before I wasn't good enough at, at delegating because I was expecting it, like I would have done it the first time around. And now that I've, that I've refined my way of communicating my expectations and communicating the specific projects and, and what I'm expecting, I feel like that's helped me and I'm still working on it. It's still a work in progress, but that's definitely something I've evolved. Yeah. You, you talked about you know, two core values of humility and integrity and somewhere in the middle, middle is vulnerability. And you just express that in yourself is, you know, being able to talk to somebody who doesn't have as high a position, so to speak. And you're willing to say, you know, I've got to look at myself first. Maybe I'm the problem. Uh, I made a mistake. So critical, I think, in gaining respect uh, of people knowing that you're human too, and not being afraid to articulate that you know, along the way, I think is, is really important. You know, talking about people, you know, we've talked about uh, competency. We've talked about your authentic self. I think we all agree that relationship building and showing people that we care for them and we want the best for them. You use the term selflessness, you know, along the way is, I just wondered, you know, when you walked in that building the first day with a new title, so to speak, and a title doesn't determine who leads. You know, as, as we all know, the leader determines whether he's capable of leading and, and so forth. I just wondered, you know, the processes you've gone to continue to, <clears throat> to get to know people uh, that, that work uh, in your departments and uh, developing a relationship that just goes on, you know, hey, good morning. You know, we have a job to do um, at the professional level, but, but letting them know there, there's more to you than that. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, I, I think. For me, there was really no change. I think you hit it right on when you said like 
you don't need a title to lead. I also think that a title doesn't define you as a person, as an employee. So for me, it was never really a defining moment. As a matter of fact, I remember when it was, I didn't really share it at the time, to be honest with you. And when it was announced for the first time, we were out at practice and a lot of my coworkers would come and be like, Hey, you didn't tell us anything. And it was kind of like, because to me, it was kind of like, well, it's just, it's just me, you know, it's just the same me and we'll just keep working. And you know, it, it, my, my duties are going to change a little bit, but I'll still be involved in the same departments I used to be involved in. And to me, it really doesn't change. And throughout my entire law and uh, football career, I never felt that, that you had to make, you had to tell people you're in charge. I never felt I had to say those things because I feel like you touched on it, the way you treat people organically, it makes them want to help. It makes them want to get on board and, and get together. And, and that's, that's always really been my vision on that. And, and, and as a matter of fact, when I got here at the Eagles, um, I'm a very organic person when it comes to relationship. And I mean, just our relationship, Mark, like we take time, it takes time, but we build it slowly, but surely. And then you can trust with people. I'm not someone that's going to come in and try to be your best friend tomorrow morning. Like that's just not my style. So I think building those relationships organically and people would be surprised how much the small things mattered. I'll give you an example. If you're at your desk, you're working, you're working on something. Someone comes to your office. You may be really busy doing something, but I would always take the time to stop what I'm doing to address them. Maybe it's something, maybe it's going to be like, Hey, I'm in a, I'm in a quick rush. Let's, let's catch up later. Can we reschedule or whatnot? But if I'm not in a rush, then I'm stopping what I'm doing. I'm turning my chair and I'm, I'm, I'm paying attention to that person. And it sounds so simple, but but it matters. It does matter because that person made the effort to come to you, ask you questions, or just want to say hello or talk about life, whatever it is. And it's really important to me to value those moments and give my full attention. Yeah, I think it just goes to self-awareness. One, I think one of the most important qualities of a leader is to be able to you know, be present enough to put things aside and make what's most important your focus. And that's what you've described. And I think that's huge. Um, relative to people over the next year, you're probably going to be involved in hiring some people. You know, the, the, the National Football League is fluid. People move out. People move in. Um, talk about things that you would look for now uh, in, a, in hiring people, um, generally speaking, not the specifics of can they do the job because competency has to be one of them. But what are, what are the attributes of people you look for and in, in, will look for in hiring? Um, I think one of the key things um, is definitely the developmental ceiling. So what I mean by that is I think that it's not only about like the competence or the background or what they've done before, but also their capacity of learning and growing and developing. And I think having individuals that work with you that have very high ceiling in terms of like like what they can they can accomplish and how they can grow in your organization. I think it's really important because then it allows you to put a good development develop development plan in place and then promote from within and build your build your staff um, from within as opposed to constantly having to go to go outside. And I think that's something that 
um, how he has been doing really, really well here um, at the Eagles. And that's something I definitely learned from him. And I try to apply in, in um, any hiring process, whether it's an intern or more senior level person, it doesn't really matter. That has to, that, that intellectual curiosity, that, that desire for, 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 for more and, and this interest, uh, I think those are really, really important. Um, in addition to competency, obviously intelligence is super important, people's skills, integrity, but like, those are things like, like I wouldn't compromise on integrity ever. Like I would rather compromise on the specific degree that you got in school, because I think you have a very high ceiling and you're a authentic, uh, person with a high integrity. Like I wouldn't compromise on that. You know what I mean? So those are where my, you know, standards. You, you hit on mentors a little bit. Um, I just wanted to go back to my mentors a little more substantively and talk about, do you have any mentors? And you talked about some, but, and what that mentorship relationship looks like. There's a mentor and there's a mentee and they both have an obligation in the relationship. I just wondered how you see mentor-mentee relationships. Uh, yeah, I definitely have mentors. Um, one that has been crucial that to this day um, is Don Aponte. So Don is currently the chief administrator of football operation of the National Football League. She's been in the league for over 20 years um, in various organizations. She was with the Jets, the Browns, the Dolphins. Um, so she helped me a ton with, so when I first, and that goes back a little bit, Mark, to what you talked about, the mentee mentor, men, mentor relationship. So one of the things that was really important for me when I was asking for help was to demonstrate how proactive I was and that I was doing some work on my own and nothing is, nothing was to be given to me. And, and that's something I did with Dawn. So I had the chance to meet her at this uh, NFL combine career uh, event. And we stayed in touch. And what I did is I print, I printed the CBA, the NFL CBA, and I, just like in law school, <laughs> annotated it, read through it, every single paragraph. And then I would break it down and organize my thoughts in a chart to really, that's how, for me, that's my method of learning, like really categorize things. And I would mark down all my questions and the things that I wasn't sure. And that was kind of something that I asked Don. I was like, would you mind helping me? with some of those questions. And her first reaction was, well, yeah, because look, wow, like you've actually, like, you're not just asking me random questions. You've actually done the work and, and I'm, I would gladly help you. And what she did was pretty fantastic. She put me in touch with the head uh, labor uh, cap guy at, who's now with the Baltimore Ravens. But at the time he was at the league office, we got on a conference call, all three of us together. And we went through all my questions and I, I, at the time I was, at the time, I believe I was still with the Alouettes. So she really just did that to help me. And, and, and then we just, you know, stayed in touch and, and she's giving me advice on not just my career, but from a personal standpoint as well, she's really become like a close mentor of mine. And, and she was an inspiration too. honestly, her path. She is a former accountant. So law accountant, you know, not too far in, in, and for me, it was very impressive to see, um, someone with a similar background of mine, a woman ascend the ranks like she did for such a long period of time. And, and 
yeah, it was, she's a phenomenal person. So I'm just really, really thankful that she helped me and uh, she continues to do so. Yeah. I've talked to students about, you know, having their board of directors, so to speak, you know, people that are in their lives and inner circle. I think leaders need an inner circle, whether they're in your building or outside of the building and mentorship is a part of that. And it's really a two-way street of the mentee maintaining the relationship and showing the mentor that they are doing the work because the mentor is willing to give and want nothing in return. He, he or she just wants to be helpful in your growth. And when you put in the work, that's inspiring uh, to the mentor as well. Uh, I just want to close with, you know, being a female in this industry. And I think that, uh, you know, you're an expert at that now, really, in the short time you've, you've been, at, been in it. I want to talk about, you know, a little bit. You know, this is a, a, a industry that's been dominated by men, as we both know. And um, I just wonder now that you're in this kind of position, you know, to talk about the men who do the hiring and what can you tell women about what it's going to take to to get into this business? Um, I think I think you can give advice to both. Well, I think you you just touched on a very important point, and it's kind of related with the mentors and your inner cycle discussion. I think men are true allies for us in in this business, and as you just said, for the most part, right now on the football side, they are in the decision making position and the hiring position. So it's important for us to. For, for women to build our network, which will include men and they are phenomenal in helping us. And there's a lot of, of them that are, that are willing to help and have open minds. So I think for me, it's in terms of advice, it's always been about preparation. That's always been my main advice. And I think that's whether you're a man or a woman, to be honest with you, for me, um, I did, I, I won't lie to you in, in complete honesty. I, I did feel like I had a heavier, burden of preparation if I'm going into a personnel meeting because I don't have the pedigree that a former first round pick may have if he decides to pursue a career post football and personnel. So yes, I did feel like I had to be very sharp and prepared, but that's just how I go how I go about everything. And that's how I was in my law practice as well. And that I, to me is a very, very good way to feel very confident in 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 your position and in in sharing your ideas because they're thorough and they're well thought of and to me that that was always 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 my go-to and it's my go-to to this day um i don't go into any meeting unprepared what as small as the meeting could be uh i think that's important so i would definitely say preparation is key and that's gonna that's gonna help you a ton as you enter the business and as you grow in the business yeah that, that's awesome well, I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. What a joy and how it's it's just, uh, I'm just so proud of you. I just cannot even begin. To, um, I'm, I don't even know what to say, but I'll I'll finish on some quick hitters uh, to try to take my mind off my, my pride here. Um, I wanted to ask you, if you had to write a thank you note to one person, it can't be me, can't be Jim, okay? Because um, we've already, you've already given us enough enough time and it can't be parents. Somebody who's lifted you up and brought you um, that you haven't talked about today because they're important too, right? Maybe, you know, somebody you haven't talked about that you want to write a thank you note to, who would that be? Um, that may be a little outside the box answer, but it would be Ruth Ginsburg. And 
it's completely unrelated to football and I don't know her as a person. That being said, I, if she was still with us, I would love to thank her for everything she's done for the woman and all the work, her life work pretty much to me has always been an inspiration. And that's something that, uh, I read a ton about her quotes and her work and inspires me on a daily basis. So I would want to thank her for that. Well, I'm glad you brought her up. That That's amazing. Um, I hold her in the highest regard, and we, we certainly miss her right now uh, very much. Growing up in Canada, you've had to, you're bilingual, and you love football up in Quebec. You know, truly, um, you know, Quebec could be across the Atlantic Ocean. I spent five years of the the, the best years of my life there in a, in a tremendous city of Montreal, loved every minute of it, but your favorite football players growing up. Uh, so I was a Montreal wet fan. So obviously Anthony Calvio was my favorite player. And I feel just so fortunate that I even have the chance to work with him later on in my career, but he was my favorite player, not only because of his tremendous production on the field, that's no question, but also for one, it made me realize the importance of the quarterback position. Um, and I think that's really, cr that's crucial. Um, and that's been crucial in my development um, in football and in this business. And then two, as a man, um, I mean, at the time, of course, I didn't know him per like, like I know him now, but um, just reading through some of this, the adversity he went through when his wife was sick and, and how he handled it. From like publicly, obviously, that's all I knew at that time. But it always really touched me uh, because I thought he was, um, he handled it with such, such a big heart, caring, professional. And uh, yeah, he really impressed me growing up. Yeah. I mean, we, we know Anthony Calvillo better than anybody. He's the, he's the best quarterback to ever play the game that nobody's heard of, right? And he's certainly was responsible in my five years for the success that we had. And my opportunity to be a head coach in the National Football League. And I certainly can't say enough about him, but he's also a better man, a better husband and father than he was a player. And he's as good a player that's ever played the game. I, I think, I think we both Talk, agree. Talking um, about humility, Mark, that's yes, him. You know that's, what I mean? He is, like, he's, uh, he's, uh, you know, in the pictorial dictionary, he's, you, you, you see his face. Um, give a, give a first year law student a bit of advice and I'll, and I'll send you back to work. <laughs> Well, I would definitely say I kind of touch on it a little earlier about preparation. So that would definitely, definitely be my main advice. But I would say, I think I, I just highly recommend uh, going to law school. And, and I, I recommend it not just for traditional practice. I also recommend it for any alternative uh, careers, just like you, you, Mark, myself. I just think like we talked earlier, the soft skills that it's going to that it's going to build and allow you to, to gain those experiences, I think is crucial. And the other thing I would say too, if you are looking to maybe transition into sports or any other industry, don't wait till the end of school to start building your network. And, and sometimes when I say this, a lot of time I hear, well, how do you do that? Like, how do you build your network? Because it's such like a buzzword that it's quite hard to do. Um, and I agree. But Think outside the box. If you see different conferences or you you hear of some speakers that you'd love to hear, just be bold. Just attend those those attend those uh, events. 
connect with people through LinkedIn, and you'll be surprised how willing people are to help. Yeah, get out there and get out there and and bring people into your airspace. You know, don't don't just sit home at your computer and connect to LinkedIn, but get out there because that's where coincidences become forks in the road that change people's lives, right? I completely agree. So I would definitely recommend that. And and, and, and I think uh, it could be super helpful. Catherine Rach, we haven't heard the last of you. I know <laughs> your, your name will be out there uh, for many years to come and you will impact uh, uh, the game of football in, in ways we, we don't even understand at this point. Uh, could be prouder and thanks for your time today. Thank you so much. Pleasure was all mine. Thank you so much for having me. It was great. Yeah, you're the best. Good luck this weekend. Thank you. All right. See you later. Later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks go out to our executive producer, Greg Levy, Associate Dean and Director of the Entertainment, Arts, and Sports Law Program at the University of Miami School of Law. Want to also thank our engineer and editor, Christopher Elzadi, our theme music from Calyptra, and special acknowledgement to our research assistant, Nick Rossi, a fellow attorney and student who's done a great job in our preparation.